five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? It's Inside You, the college sports podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Audick, and thank the Lord, college football is back. So we got a lot of things to get into, so let's get started. Obviously, what everybody's talking about right now, Ohio State, Urban Meyer. Uh, there's a lot of parts to this story, so let's start from the beginning. If you haven't been following at Big Ten Media Days, Urban Meyer lied about his knowledge of Zach Smith, the wide receiver coach for the Buckeyes at the time, regarding his relationship with his ex-wife, Courtney Smith, and Courtney Smith's alleged domestic violations allegations against Zach Smith. Following this, it was reported that Meyer did in fact have knowledge and he was soon thereafter placed on paid administrative leave. Now, this is where the story takes an interesting turn. Normally, you would think that you're being under investigation, you're going to stay quiet. Instead, Urban Meyer first releases a statement admitting that he first did have knowledge of Zach Smith and his issues with his ex-wife, Courtney Smith, and furthermore, apologizing and saying that he should have had more knowledge. Furthermore, Zach Smith on his own does his own interview with ESPN. He provides his side of the story. Now, obviously, at this time, Zach Smith is facing a criminal investigation. So the last thing you would expect is for someone to go out and do a public interview. But whether it be to to his allegiances to Urban Meyer or just because he wanted to provide his side of the story, Smith did, in fact, do that. Following this, while he's on paid administrative leave, Ohio State President Michael V. Drake announces that the school is putting together a special independent council. They're going to do a 14-day investigation. And then this last Wednesday, the results of that investigation were released. Now, uh, first off, let's talk about this investigation. So Ohio State University put together a lot of people on this investigation. They had Mary Jo White and a number of other people who had made a name for themselves doing high-profile investigations such as this one. On Wednesday, they released their findings right before they had a press conference where they announced that both Urban Meyer and Athletic Director Gene Smith would be placed on suspension. So first off, when I heard about this, my first thought was that if anyone was going to get suspended or fired, it was probably going to be Gene Smith. If you guys haven't been following Gene Smith, the Ohio State Athletic Director since 2005, he was there during the tattoo for trophy scandal. Obviously, he's been overseeing the transition of the basketball program as they depart from former head coach Thad Mata. And I'm sure there are some people in Ohio State and in Columbus and in Ohio, for that matter, who are very distraught that Chris Mack, the former Xavier coach, is now the head coach at Louisville. And just from what I've heard, people across the board aren't very pleased with Gene Smith. So they conclude their investigation the Board of Trustees meets for over 12 hours, and after this, they announce that Urban Meyer has been suspended for the first three games of the 2018 season. So, the 12 hours, obviously, I think, like a lot of people have said, this punishment is really no punishment at all. Those first three games, two of them are home games against Oregon State and Rutgers, and then after that, they make their only road trip to TCU during that three-game stretch. So let's look at those teams first of all. Oregon State won one game last season, has a new head coach in Jonathan Smith. Everyone recognizes that that's the hardest job in the Pac-12. Probably don't need Urban Meyer for that game. 
Then you get to Rutgers. They were four and eight in 2017. All, although they're in the Big Ten, they're not exactly a powerhouse. And then TCU, which is the only road game, and you would think, oh, this game might actually be a little difficult. They've got a new quarterback in Sean Robinson, and their defense took a big hit this last week when it was announced that Ross Blaylock had suffered a season-ending Achilles injury. So it's very likely that with or without Urban Meyer, they go 3-0 during that stretch. Now, if you're sitting here wondering, wait a minute, they said in their investigation that Urban Meyer had a discussion with a Ohio State staffer discussing whether they could change the preferences on his cell phone to delete all text messages older than a year. How come this wasn't brought up more? Well, if you haven't been following, the reason why that's important is because Courtney Smith, Zach Smith's ex-wife, alleged that Shelly Meyer, Urban Meyer's wife and an also of Ohio State University, would regularly text her, checking up on her, and that due to these text messages, she believed that Urban did in fact have knowledge of Urban Meyer, have no, sorry, excuse me, have knowledge of Zach Smith's repeated domestic assault uh, acts against her. So what do you know when he does in fact turn over his cell phone, all text messages older than a year are gone, but then the investigators still said that they did not think that Meyer took any acts to try and deceive deter or make their investigation more difficult. Now, if you're wondering, wait a minute, that seems to me like pretty good evidence of someone destroying evidence, obviously in a criminal case or in a civil case that would obviously sway probably most juries. How is this guy getting through this? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. As bad as this looks for Ohio State, for Gene Smith, for Michael E. Drake, for everyone involved, Urban Meyer and is probably still able to go become a head coach about anywhere else to this day. I don't think these in this scandal, as bad as it looks, which should prevent him from ever coaching another football team ever again, in the world of coaching, prevents him from ever becoming a head coach. It doesn't forbid him from going out and getting a head coaching job tomorrow, whether that be at LSU or any other program. If he walked into most athletic departments, he probably could have that head coaching job before the end of the day. Now, here's the question. Let's also have, we have to put this into context. Is this scandal as bad or worse than Bobby Petrino? Obviously, when he was at Arkansas, he admitted to having a relationship with an assistant that resulted in his being fired. But since then, he's been the head coach at Western Kentucky and Louisville. Then you've got to look at Mike Leach. He got fired at Texas Tech after confining an injured player in a closet. He's since coached at Washington State where he had a good year last year. Obviously, more recently, you have Jim McElwain at Florida, who lied about receiving death threats for him, his family, and his players. And then kind of in a broader context, is this as bad as Art Bryles at Baylor? And they're just repeated acts of undermining and not giving credit to students' sexual assault allegations. So what do you guys think? Is this as bad? Is this worse? Should Urban Meyer ever be able to coach again? My take is no. Now, moving on to... Oh, one last thing on Urban Meyer. Um, a lot of people have been talking about the press conference. If you didn't see it, Urban Meyer went up there and read what I believe was a statement that he did not write. It looked to me that he had probably read it once or twice in the back, and he was just focusing on kind of working his way through it. Furthermore, a lot of people brought up the fact that he did not apologize to Courtney Smith during in the statement or afterwards during the question and answer period. Meyer has since apologized to Courtney Smith on Twitter, releasing his own three-paragraph apology. 
I read through it. I think that he actually did write, but again, it does not look it does not look good that he continuously seems to be ignoring her, her ignoring her. Uh, furthermore, I like I said, I really did think if anyone was going to get fired during this, it would be Gene Smith, the athletic director of Ohio State, and not Urban Meyer. Frankly, as like I said, as the board of trustees probably know, it's a lot harder to find a athletic direct. It's a lot harder to find a winning football coach than it is an athletic director. But during the press conference, I realized why Gene Smith still has his job because he did a great way of responding to reporters' questions without actually answering them. If you guys didn't see it multiple times, he would ask a question and he would kind of give a vague answer, which didn't necessarily answer the question asked, but it was close enough in the realm. And he was extremely personable about the way he conducted his business. Furthermore, school president Michael B. Drake, I'm not quite sure why they even had him up there. He just kind of looked like a standalone. Obviously, he was just there for the public appearance of the university, but he did not impress me. Um, let's see. So like I said, uh, and then lastly, obviously, you can talk about the money. You know, he's brought into the school. You know, he did win a national championship. He's been to the playoff twice. He's a two-time Big Ten champion. But I really do think the most important factor here that resulted in not being fired and only receiving a three-game suspension was that I do not believe in college football today that this is the kind of thing that prevents Urban Meyer from ever being a head coach ever again. I think if he had gotten fired, he sits out for a year, maybe two years, does some charity work, and many schools, like particularly LSU, would welcome him in with open arms. And I think at the end of the day, the board of trustees did not want to risk him ending up on somebody else's sideline next season or in the future. So what do you guys think? Moving on now, DJ Durkin, obviously Urban Meyer's former uh, defensive coordinator, Urban Meyer being his former employer, head coach at the University of Maryland. So if you haven't been following during DJ Durkin's time leading the Terrafins, the football program has been trending upward. In his first season, they were bowl eligible. Last year, they had a huge win over Texas at in Austin to open the season, spoiling Tom Herbman's debut. And this season, they have the return of Kasim Hill, Tyrell Pigram, and their star outside linebacker, Jesse Anabonum. Now, even with the football program trending upward, things completely just fell out for the Terrafins on May 29th after Jordan McNair collapsed during the team's conditioning test. This led to multiple investigations Furthermore, on August 10th, ESPN released an expose detailing just outrageous and barbaric behavior inside the football program, particularly sinking out current, uh, recently resigned head strength and conditioning coach Steve Court. So first off, all of the objectives that ESPN detailed, trying to get guys bigger, trying to get them stronger, trying to get them work harder, that happens at every single Division I university. You're not going to find a university that is not trying to get their guys bigger, get their guys stronger, get them faster. But this is what singles out Maryland. It appears like DJ Durkin, his staff, and particularly former head strength and conditioning coach Rick Court seek to go about those objectives in the most outrageous, barbaric, humiliating, and demeaning ways. Obviously, after McNair's death, the school announced two investigations into its football program. And since then, University President Wallace D. Lowe 
has gone out and accepted moral and legal responsibility. This past week, the University of Maryland system assumed control of both those investigations. So it's a little unclear everything will be wrapped up. Uh, just this past weekend, they mentioned that they had appointed former NFL quarterback Doug Williams to the uh, investigative team. But what really is intriguing about this is that this is a football-related issue. Unlike Durkin's former employer, Urban Meyer, I'm pretty sure that Meyer could go into the Buckeyes locker room right now and he would be welcomed back with open arms. I cannot say the same thing about DJ Durkin. I think no matter what happens with that investigation, whether they say these claims are meritless, they're baseless, or they're meritful, they have to go to that football team and ask, hey, do you guys want to play for this guy? Because if they don't, then no matter what the result of those investigations are, you fire him, you've got a good interim head coach in Matt Kanata, the former offensive coordinator at LSU. So you see what happens this season, and then you reevaluate things. I, if you're sitting here wondering how is DJ Durkin still employed, especially after the news that came out that he previously hired an attorney to represent two Terps players in uh, to defend two Terps players against sexual assault claims. I think right now what you're seeing is the university is probably trying to find a way to get out of the ridiculous buyout that I'm sure Durkin and just about every head coach has. I'm sure they're looking to try and come up with enough to say that they can fire him for cause, just like we saw with Jim McElwain at Florida. But very hard to me believe that Durkin ever coaches the Maryland Terrafins again. Whether he is completely blacklisted from coaching, we'll see. Obviously, McElwain was able to get a job at Michigan this year, so possibly down the road, but probably that's the end for DJ Durkin. So moving on, uh, in case you guys missed it, CBS this week released its annual poll of the most overrated and underrated coaches voted on by their peers. One of the surprising names for me was Willie Taggart. Basically, most of the claims had to do with him being undeserving of the job of being Florida State's new head coach. The main claim that I saw relating to that was that he doesn't have a winning record. Now, I'm sure when Florida State announced that they were looking for a minority candidate, that probably made a lot of people angry within the coaching profession. Obviously, that significantly limits the pool of eligible applicants, and I'm sure a lot of people thought that they were just as deserving or more deserving than Willie Taggart. But let's look at Willie Taggart's resume, because I think regardless of race, he still would deserve this job. Taylor goes to Western Kentucky, snaps a 26-game losing streak, takes them to two bowl games. Then he takes over South Florida, wins 10 games, is co-American East Division champions with Temple. Then he goes to Oregon, which was 4-8 in 2016 under Mark Helfrich. Their offense couldn't move the ball. And he turns them around to 7-5 and five in his only season, and that was without starting quarterback Justin Herbert for a crucial five-game stretch. I mean, if that's not deserving of a guy that – should be moving up in the coaching ranks. I don't know what does. But let's also look at where he started, Western Kentucky. Since he's been there, you've had Bobby Petrino turn out to be the head coach. He's now the head coach at Louisville. He coached Lamar Jackson to a Heisman. You had Chris Brom, who everyone was raving about last year for his work at Purdue, making them bowl eligible in his first season. And then you got Tyson Helton, the 
new offensive coordinator at Tennessee. And I don't know if any of those guys are willing to take over that program if Willie Taggart first doesn't turn them around. Now, even more recently at South Florida, Charlie Strong last season leading South Florida was one of the few programs to come close to upsetting UCF. And this is, again, mostly due to Willie Taggart's success, like a lot of people are acknowledging. Does any of this happen without Willie Taggart first? I'm not sure. In regards to the minority head coach issue, when they announced that, two names came to mind pretty obviously, Willie Taggart and, again, current South Florida head coach Charlie Strong. I guess you could also argue maybe that T. Martin, the offensive coordinator at USC, deserves a look. But unlike Taggart and Strong, he doesn't have the head coaching experience. Between those two candidates, obviously Strong had his chance at Texas. It didn't work out. We'll see what he can do at South Florida this year without Quentin Flowers. So then Taggart's the guy who gets the nod. Already I've been impressed. The players seem to be responding to him. And I won't even going willing to go out as far as say that the Florida State football team will have a better record than Texas A&M Jimbo Fisher's team at the end of this season. Furthermore, he will have a winning record by the end of this season. So the last head coach we want to talk about today, Mike Bobo, head coach at Colorado State University, one of the top unbecoming head coaches in the group of five level. Obviously, previously, he's been the offensive coordinator at Georgia under Mike Rick, had a lot of success there. He was a finalist for the Broyles Award, which goes to the nation top top assistant, and he's taking Colorado State to three bowl games in each of his first three seasons. So due to this success, he's been rumored to, to be connected to a number of top jobs. A week ago, he was hospitalized following issues regarding numbness in his feet. Turns out he has peripheral neuropathy. And while this looks treatable, I do have to wonder if this might scare some schools off from being willing to hire him so quickly. This might this might slow down his ascension a little bit quicker, which is obviously probably good for the Rams. The good news is this does not appear to be too serious. Bobo is going to coach the Rams today as they take on Hawaii in their home opener, although it may be from the booth. So glad to hear Coach Bobo is doing okay. And looking forward to seeing him this afternoon. Uh, also, since I forgot to mention, I do want to make a point to say my condolences to Jordan McNair, his family, his friends, anyone who knew him, the entire Maryland football program. Anytime someone that young loses their life, it is tr a tragic thing. And given the announcements from Wallace D. Lowe that they failed to check his vitals and or give him cold immersion, it appears like his death very well could have been prevented. So again, my condolences. So this brings us to our first breakdown of the year. We've got Colorado State taking on Hawaii. One of the big points in Colorado State's favor was K.J. Carter Samuels announcing that he was going to pursue a graduate transfer. Initially, he picked UCLA. But then he later changed after Colin Johnson tore his ACL in March. Sorry, excuse me, Colin Hill tore his ACL in March and transferred to CSU. Here's a guy who's already seen action in 25 games, and he was able to win the starting job. So that should be a big boost for the Rams' offense. Defensively, the defense obviously last year was terrible. They brought in a new defensive coordinator in John Jancic. And with an improved defense, it's going to be interesting to see what the Rams can do this season. I picked them to finish second in the Mountain West Mountain Division right behind Boise State. But who knows, maybe they'll be able to challenge the Broncos this season. Now, Hawaii, obviously Nick Rolovich started things off 
He appears to be quite the character. He showed up at Big 12 Media Days with a Britney Spears impersonator. This is after a year ago showing up with an Elvis impersonator. And while this provided a lot of people within college football a lot of fun and joy and entertainment, unfortunately, that may be the only high point for the Rainbow Warriors this season. Looking at his team, Rolovich has to replace a lot. Drew Mason, the starting quarterback last season, transferred to Oklahoma State. Dylan Coley, their leading wide receiver, transferred to BYU. Former defensive coordinator Leggy Suanoa took the job at Oregon State, and they lost a lot of key contributors on defense. Keep in mind, this is a team that went 3-9 in 2017, so it's hard to imagine much improvement from the Rainbow Warriors. And there is a reason why Colorado State is 14-point favorites. So speaking of Hawaii, obviously anyone who knows has heard it before. It's tough to coach there. First off, all your homegrown talent, your best players, they're going elsewhere. Obviously, everyone knows Marcus Mariota. More recently, Tua Tagovailoa and his younger brother ending up at Alabama. So the players that are remaining probably aren't your five-star, four-star, and maybe even three-star recruits. Then you've got the distance factor. It's hard to get guys from the mainland to go there and all of the travel playing for the Rainbow Warriors. With that being said, I do think Rolovich is the right guy for now. He's obviously trying to correct the missteps of former coach Norm Chow. Here's a guy who's been the Rainbow Warriors starting quarterback, and it's only going to be a question of whether he's given the time needed to make a full turnaround of that program. We're going to see, obviously, another season finishing 3-9 and nine probably would mean that the calls for his firing would begin. But like I said, I do like Rolovich. I think he's the right guy to lead that program right now. We'll see what happens. But again, Colorado State is a 14-point favorite, and they should take care of that. Now, moving on to the other Mountain West team playing this weekend, you've got Wyoming taking on New Mexico State. Last season, everyone was excited to watch New Mexico State qualify and win their first bowl game in 57 years. This resulted in the offseason head coach Doug Martin getting a four-year extension which they're going to need because New Mexico State is now an independent school. They previously, they've previously left the Sunbelt Conference, and now they're going to find out how tough it is to be an independent. I read an article just this past week that talked about how when you are one of those independent schools, you're being scheduled as the team for other teams to get an easy victory over. Even within those independents, there's certainly a Tier 1 and Tier 2. On the one hand, you have Army, BYU, and Notre Dame, and then you've got Liberty, New Mexico State, and UMass. If you need any more evidence of how difficult it is to be an independent program, New Mexico State and Liberty are playing each other twice this season. So moving on to what the Aggies team is going to look like, they lost quarterback Tyler Rogers, receiver Julia Wright, and running back Larry Rose II. Fortunately, they still have Rogers' backup, Nick Ginty, and Ginty has seen meaningful playing time after taking over for Rodgers in 2017 and assisting the Aggies become bowl eligible. So that bodes well for New Mexico State, but again, it's going to be a tough year for them. Wyoming, on the other hand, now has to live in a world without quarterback Josh Allen. But as hard as this may be to believe, most likely the Cowboys will not miss him too much. If you didn't follow after the two big wide receivers for the Cowboys left in 2016, the Cowboys offense was horrid last season. Keep in mind, this is a guy, Craig Bowles, the head Cowboys head coach, who's coached not only Josh Alpin, Allen, but also another guy by the name of Carson Wentz. It was announced this past week that redshirt freshman Tyler Vanderwall is the new starting quarterback, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do. 
but the offense probably will be about the same, if not a little better this season. Again, Craig Bull, the Cowboys head coach. Here's a guy who made a name for himself building the North Dakota State program. Here's a guy who knows how to build a program. I do think he's the right guy for the Cowboys. He seems to be content staying in Laramie. It's just a question of putting together the right talent and building that program from the bottom up. The good news for the Cowboys is that they had one of the most underrated defenses in 2017, and they should be even better this season with the return of Antonio Hall from injury. So while this may be a lower-scoring game, the Cowboys should, in fact, win it. Last time I checked, they were three-and-a-half-point favorites. That makes sense. Again, the Cowboys over the Aggies. So moving on, one of the more interesting games this season, you have the Rice Owls taking on Prairie View. Remember last season, everyone was surprised by Howard managing to upset UNLV. If there's a game that I think is going to mimic that, it is this one. Prairie View has a new head coach in Eric Dooley. Here's a guy who made a name for himself, putting together high-powered offenses at a number of HCBU schools. They've got seven all-preseason SWAC players. And the last time they played the Owls, while the Owls won 65-44, Prairie View managed to outscore the Owls 30-20 in the second half. Rice, keep in mind, is coming off a season where they only managed to win one game. This resulted in former head coach David Bailiff being replaced, and they decided to go in the direction of hiring former Stanford offensive coordinator Mike Bloomgreen. Now, everyone knows the difficulties that the University of Houston has to face and how they've consistently been turned down by the Big 12. In case you don't know, Houston, one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in the nation, and the University of Houston has to deal with the fact that every program is coming in to take their top talent. And if you need proof of that, check out what Ed Oliver has been able to do at the University of Houston. Rice has all the same challenges that Houston has, but they also have the challenges of the higher academics, so it's a lot more difficult to build a team. And like I said, well, in Texas, they're one of the less desirable programs. Now, I do like the hiring of Bloomgren to replace Bailiff. Here's a guy who knows what it's like to build a program dealing with both high athletic and academic standards, but this will take time. You don't go from winning one game to being bowl eligible. Most likely you're looking at four to five wins this season, in that regard, Bloomgren will be able to return, rely, excuse me, rely on the return of starting quarterback Miko Smalls, but they're going to have to replace a lot on their defensive line, and the defense lost its best pass rusher. So this, I think, will be a close game. Most likely, it's going to be a shootout, which means it could go either way, and I would not be surprised if Prairie View pulls off the upset. So moving on to the last game of this weekend, we've got UMass taking on Duke and Ease. Dukeney's head coach Jerry Schmidt returns for his 14th season. Here's a guy who's had a lot of success leading the Dukes. They were 7-4 last season, and this season they'll be able to rely on FAU transfer quarterback Daniel Parr, along with first-team all-NEC running back A.J. Himes. But Miniman head coach Mark Whipple probably has one of his best teams ever. They have the return of starting quarterback Andrew Ford and a number of offensive pieces. Many have said that this might be the year that UMass finally is able to attract interest from one of the other group of five or even power five conferences. So UMass probably wins this one. So guys, that's it for this weekend's game. I'll be back on Monday to discuss this weekend's games, as well as preview all of this coming weekend's power five games. And please make sure to like and or subscribe if you like what you hear. Have a good weekend, guys. See you soon. Bye.